Hey guys, welcome back to Unchitled, Untitled Jesus Talk. Wow, I can't speak. Uh, I'm your host, Tate, and today I am sitting with Cole. What's up, guys? My name's Cole. Um, I guess to intro myself a little bit, uh, me and Tate know each other through a college ministry that we're both a part of, and we also kind of work together. Tate does like building stuff. I also do more of the office side of things. And then he asked me, like, hey, man, do you want to come on my podcast? And I was like, sure, let's do it. And so I'm really excited to talk about Jesus with y'all. Let's go. Jesus, ultimate dub. Let's go. W. Um, today's podcast is uh, something that I think as Christians we should all know about. The Bible calls us to defend our faith. And so when I say defend our faith, of course, I mean apologetics. Oh my God, Come on. that's so crazy. Come on. Um, so I, the first question, we jump right into this, is um, what is apologetics? Yeah, for sure. And so kind of before we get into it, I think an important note is that like, just because you're listening to us talk about it, like I'm no genius theologist who's gone through like years of seminary and has my doctorate, right? Oh, you like, don't? Just, Dang, my bad. No, 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 no. I'm just, in all truth, I'm just a guy who likes to read books um, and just like sharing what I've learned uh, is kind of where I just really feel that call in my life, you know? Um, but so please don't think that I'm just some like deep, really intricate thinker because in reality, I just view myself as, you know, another guy at the table who's trying to learn more about the Lord, period. Um, but I'd love to share kind of what I've learned along that along the way but to get back to the question for a second um, apologetics the way I think about it is basically just like like I'm talking about Christianity and my faith to someone who doesn't believe you know in Jesus and all of that if you think about it you know me rattling off Bible verses to them means nothing because they they already don't believe right uh, that's like saying someone trying to tell me the truth about, about um, another religion referencing like the Quran or something and I'm like well, you can spit those verses at me all day, but that's not, that's to me, that's not true. Um, and so apologetics is just defending your faith without referencing the Bible is kind of how I like to see it. Interesting. But yeah. I think uh, kind of my understanding of apologetics um, is like giving giving a defense. Uh, I, wow, I, I didn't really think about it not referencing the Bible, but no, absolutely. Um, yeah, a lot, like I mean, a lot of apologetics conversations and topics get into like, you know, the history and the canon of the Bible, or like really deep logic puzzles is how people like to think about apologetics. And I'm sure we're about to get into it into the weeds here in a second, but um, yeah, I think the the I mean, apologetics has a purpose in the church, right? Uh, and I think that its purpose is to give, you know, if if what Jesus said is truly true, then it's going to check out along like the science and the history and the all the other logic uh aspects of this world right absolutely and something uh now when i say this don't everyone take out your pitchforks okay all right i i understand that this is what i'm about to say is a difficult thing and it goes against probably what a lot of us believe but i'm, I'm buckled in i'm ready for this one i believe that if uh, something comes to light uh, scientifically that contradicts the Bible in a very clear way. Um, 
and it proves Christianity to not be true, I believe we should cast it out. We should cast it away. Uh, it's useless then. Um, if it is somehow proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was not the Son of God, um, then our faith is for nothing, as Paul writes. Um, but there has, in the 2,000 years uh, that we have had the knowledge of Jesus Christ, it has never been disproven once. Uh, it is the most poured over book uh, of all time. It is referenced as a uh, historical material, so it is used as references um, for things happening around that time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it hasn't been contradicted yet, so I am going to put my faith in it. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I don't really know if I have much to add to that other than, like, you know, there's this there's this rule that a lot of people will follow of, like, man, Scripture doesn't contradict Scripture, right? Um, people, you know, the Bible is the most cross-referenced book of all time. Um, and I just feel like, yeah, man, if I were to believe that Jesus truly, you know, is the Son of God, came down, died for our sins, rose three days later, and all of that, like, there will be also a science aspect that backs that up as well, and the history of it uh, that backs that up as well. Um, just to further, I think about it, and I mean, you kind of get into the question of, you know, do we really need to learn anything about Jesus other than just Bible verses? And I think, like, yeah. And that's kind of where apologetics fits into. I think about, you know, you've been into high school, right? You go to that speech class, and they talk about ethos, pathos, and logos. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I, for, I forget which one it is, but uh, one of those is, like, credibility, right? Uh, and I think that digging into apologetics makes, uh, and the deeper that you dig, I found it makes my faith more, uh, it feels more credible. Uh, because I understand that, like, yes, this isn't just some fairy tale. Because I grew up not in the church, and I thought that, like, the whole gospel presentation of, you know, like I just said, Jesus came, died, rose three days later, son of God. To me, that was just, like, another Jack and the Beanstalk kind of story, you know? Yeah, um, like but... Type deal. Yeah, for sure. And, and it wasn't until, like, the first thing that I kind of really dug into when I became a Christian was, you know, hey... I understand, like, now I have the, like, the emotional tie to it, uh, and logically it makes sense to me, but, like, where's the credibility at? You know, does this check out with history? Does this check out with science? Does it check out with how many different other things? And I think that's why this kind of comes into play. Um, I'm really excited to talk about a lot of this different stuff. Yeah, you mentioned it, like, do we actually need to learn about anything other than Jesus? Like, I don't know. Christianity is all about know following jesus so do we have to do anything else other than that um well i think time and time again do we need to uh i talk about this often but uh one of my the most interesting things that i think uh about just bible and christianity and the gospel in general is just you know the gospel is so simple that I, a four-year-old can understand it um but yeah it's so complex that guys like you know, C.S. Lewis or these like deep theology nerds will just spend their whole life studying and then feel like they know nothing, you know? Mm. Um, and there's like a beauty to that, I feel like. Um, but as far as do you need to learn anything about more about Jesus? No, because I mean, you look at the Pharisees, right? They, they knew they had memorized the first five books of the Bible, but yet time and time again, does Jesus be like, hey, 
you guys missed the mark. You know, it's not about what you know. It's not about what you do. It's about your heart posture. Um, but again, to my point of, you know, I think apologetics do fit in the church in terms of like, hey, if I'm to go out and make disciples, how do I talk to someone who really has those deep doubts? You know, like a common question is, you know, a doubt a lot of people have is like, man, you look around the world and, you know, school shootings happen and tornadoes and natural disasters happen. Like there's so much evil in this world. If God is really good, then why does that stuff happen? You know, those are the kind of like deep doubts people have. And I think that uh, digging into it yourself uh, and finding peace in that uh, really helps you in the Great Commission, you know. And that's that's my thoughts on why we need to at least think about these kind of questions and these uh, thoughts. All right, so let's uh, let's move away from Jesus specifically for a second. Well, not really, um, but you know uh, there are so many different beliefs in the world, and uh, obviously if we're going to fulfill the Great Commission. We're going to have people that uh, are they just believe differently. Um, so how do I know that m- what I believe, what my religion is correct? Right. Um, well, I have personally haven't done a really deep dive into other religions that much, but I grew up, so I grew up Buddhist, uh, in a similar way to how they're lukewarm Christians. Uh, if you grew up in the church, you've heard that term a lot. I grew up like lukewarm Buddhist. Um, and that for me kind of looked like going to the the temple once a month, you give the monks some food, talk about the, uh, oh shoot, the eight, eightfold path or whatever. Um, but I can speak into the Buddhist side of things. Um, but they talk about how to be saved, you basically live your life to, um, you know, do all the works and become enlightened. And then you become like Buddha and basically you're saved. Uh, really, really high level. That's what Buddhist people think. And they have their version of, like, Jesus tells us, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the light. Uh, each re- I find that each religion has a statement similar to that of, you know, hey, we are exclusive. We are the way. Uh, we are the truth. You know, Muslims have a statement like that. I don't know at the top of my head, I'll be honest, but uh, it's my understanding that they do, as with, like, Hinduism and Buddhism and all the other, you know, big religions. And my thought process is like, man, every single religion claims exclusivity, right? Mm-hmm. They all claim to be the one. And like, that's a really hard question to answer of like, hey, how do you know mine is right? And something that I found really interesting in my walk with Christ is like uh, wrestling with that answer. And I know that a lot of uh, every other religion mentions Jesus. Uh, I know Eastern religions like Buddhism and Hinduism talk about Jesus as just like just a guy, you know. Uh, Jewish people think that Jesus was just some, you know, prophet, but not necessarily the Messiah. Um, I'm not really sure what the Islam belief on Jesus is, but um, they, uh, they think that... Yeah, they believe he was a great prophet, but that he was taken up into heaven before he died on the cross. Right. Um, I think it's really interesting how every single other religion has to make a stance on Jesus. Um to be like, hey, that guy over there, like he's not he's not the truth. Like we are guys. But as we're like in Christianity, you like again, nowhere in the other religions do they have to be like, hey, this Buddha guy, like he's not it. Listen to us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um 
I just find that really interesting. I don't know if that has any weight or any value with anyone else, but I think it's there's something to be said about why is it that every other religion thinks about Jesus, but Jesus doesn't think anything about the other religions. Facts. You know, uh, we had a we had Go Weekend uh, last week, two weeks ago. It was a few weeks ago. Yeah, something like um, that. But Go Weekend was basically where um, we hosted a a kind of a training camp to go and evangelize. And we had um, Nate Hilgenkamp from the Becoming Something podcast to speak Friday night, and I truly believe that like I had recorded this podcast. Um, with a guy uh, a couple weeks ago. No, more like a couple months ago. And it just was terrible. Um, reverb was bad. I was like, I'm not going to put this out. Um, and I believe that God not only did that for timing-wise, but um, I have... Uh, Paul and I were talking about this beforehand, but he's done a lot of like really deep diving onto these topics. Like, he is uh he's making sure that he what he's saying is checking out with the bible right um but anyways back to the go weekend thing uh the message he delivered he showed pictures of where the graves are for these major religions and he's like hey you can go there and you can see where these people are buried you can go to where jesus was buried but guess what he's not there like all these other guys these guys are dead him he's not there like and it was so powerful. Uh, so like, I don't I don't know what to say other than that. Um, yeah. Like the difference between us and the other ones is like, hey, everyone talks about like, hey, I'm the way, the truth, the light. Like they all have that statement for themselves. Um, and I know that like, you know, it's just wild to think that our God isn't dead. You know, yeah. uh, we can go, I can go look at Buddha's grave right now if I wanted to fly over to uh, China but yet I can't go find where Jesus is buried. You know, I I just feel like if Buddha was the way, he wouldn't be there. You know what I'm saying? Come on. Bro, facts. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of reminded me a little bit of a sidetrack, but have you seen the video where it's like the LARPers and they're like in the park or whatever? Like, oh yeah, we found a dead body over there. Um, But I called my friend and he's a necromancer. And so uh, he tried to do all this and they're like, but apparently we contaminated the crime scene because that spell uses a lot of glitter. And I was uh, like, I was dead, bro. I was laughing so hard. You should go look that up. <laughs> that's so goofy. For but, what? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what's going on. But I know that, um, man, people are strange. Uh, but, you know, one question that I think uh, a lot of people have is, how can God listen to everyone at the same time? Because, you know, we believe in prayer. We believe that uh, we are communicating with the Lord of the universe. Um, but if everyone is doing it, then how can he take the time to listen to all of us? Yeah. Uh, my brain kind of jumps from the Bible a lot. Uh, but there's a passage, I want to say, like, John 12-ish, John 14-ish. Uh, but it talks about the promise of the Holy Spirit. Um and it talks about how, like, we are sent a helper, and you know, we believe in the Trinity, right? So we, we believe as Christians that God is the Father, the Son, and also the Holy Spirit all at the same time, you know? That's really hard for us to wrap our brains around, um, the, and it's especially the 
always at the same time part that, that a lot of people struggle with because there's literally nothing in this world that is like that. Um, but I just think about it like, you know, God is always with us, right? Um, in Holy Spirit form. And um, I think that when we pray, uh, God can hear us because he's with all of us. You know, we're doing this podcast over Discord right now, and God is with me in the same sense that God is with you, right? Mm, yeah. Um, so why would he not be able to hear us? And then there's also, um, to give the corny church answer, it's like God is omnipotent, omnipresent, uh, and omni whatever the third one is that people say. Yes. Um, all-knowing, all-powerful, all that kind of thing. I think that's that's so true, but uh, my brain kind of goes to like, hey, God can hear us, and God can listen to everyone because he's with his people. Um, I forget that other verse, too. That's, I think, somewhere in John, but it says that, you know, for there, where there are uh, two or three people gathered in my name, I am with them. Um, but yeah, I think God's always with us, so of course he can hear us. I think, uh, like, another aspect of this is, like, um, I, I've been asked this question, um, but the problem is, I, I think the flaw is in the question itself, um, and that is at the same time. Um, I think we as humans, we have a very narrow mindset, and it's not that we just uh, are so close-minded or whatever. No, we literally can't comprehend what it's like to be outside of time. We are three-dimensional beings who can perceive the fourth dimension, which is time, but we can't interact with it in any way. We can simply track it. Um, right. And so God God is not confined by time. Uh, he is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He was there at the beginning of everything, and he will be there at the end of everything. Um, but the important thing is that God is not confined by time. Um, I like to think of it like a movie reel kind of type deal where everything is just kind of spread out in front of him um, and so he can interact with whatever he wants to and so there, he's not constrained by time so if he, he can listen to everyone because he's got all the time in the world right um, yeah another question I get is about history and like doesn't history disprove the bible um yeah, this is one that I thought for a really long time. I was like, you know, uh, doesn't, you know, isn't there some way that history disproves it? And and the more I kind of looked into it, the more I realized that history doesn't disprove the Bible. If anything, it proves it. Um, I can think of two of my favorite examples um, from Scripture. <clears throat> and so to get into some of the weeds, um, Ezekiel 6 or Ezekiel chapter 26 uh, verses uh, 4 through 5 talks about the city of Tyre, right? And so there's a city um, all the way back then and it just talks about the the fall of it and how it and, and depicts exactly how it's going to be destroyed uh, almost 250, 300 years before uh, what happens, happens. Um, and to read it word for word, it says, they shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down their towers. And I will scrape her soil from her and make her a bare rock. And so it says, you know, all the towers will be scraped to the soil and make made bare rock. And then verse 5, she shall be put in the midst of the sea, a 
a place for the spreading of nets, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God, and she shall become plunder for the nations, and her daughters in the mainland shall be killed by the sword, and they will know that I am the Lord. Uh, and so basically, it just talks about how like all these towers in this city are going to one day be like scraped from uh, and made bare rock, and then thrown into the into the sea because Tyre uh, was essentially an island. It's essentially an island over in Europe, um, and then it talks about how the daughters in the mainland um, outside of the island would just be killed by a sword, and they'll know that I am the Lord. And we read that, and we're like, man, that's a really bleak ending, you know? Yeah. But then you look at what history has to say about the fall of Tyre, and so what happened was. Uh, and you, please don't take my word for it. Go Google Alexander the Great siege on the city of Tyre. Uh, <clears throat> this is, I think, the fifth place that he sieged. Um, so please fact check me on that. But essentially, what happened was Alexander the Great. You know, one of the history's biggest, baddest people to ever do it went on this huge conquest, and when he got to Tyre. What happened was him and the, him and his soldiers pulled up, um, and like I said, Tyler's an island, right? And so they pull up, burn everything, kill all the kill everyone in the town. But then, like high tide came, um, and there was maybe two, three feet of water that existed between them and the mainland, or them and the island. And so what they did is they took all the towers and they like tore them down because they were made of stone back then. Um, and they were, they tore it, they tore them down and made a causeway that stretched from the island to like the mainland so that they could like cross with all their horses and whatnot. Um, and that bridge and that causeway actually still exists to this day. Um, and I just think that it's so wild that the Bible predicted that and historians and Bible nerds and all those kind of people have done their homework to make sure that history lined up with that and that hey which came first the, the telling of how it's gonna fall or it falling and people confirm like yeah that was prophesized roughly 200 300 years before alexander the great ever pulled up you know i just think that's one of my favorite examples of bible literally predicting the future you know yeah absolutely and you were uh you were telling me about that earlier today and bro, like it is, it is something just to be in awe of, like uh, prophecies just in general, you know. Yeah, um, man, a lot of pro- false prophets, a lot of them. Um, oh, we're gonna get into that here on our last question. Yeah, and then like another really wild uh, history nerd kind of moment is it comes out of Daniel two, and to spark notes it, uh, Daniel two. Uh, Daniel, he's this guy, and his spiritual gift is depicting dreams. Uh, and the king basically has this really unsettling dream and tells all his people, hey, I had this really unsettling dream. I want some one of you guys to interpret it. But not only interpret it, tell me what it was, but tell me what it was. You know, He didn't tell anyone, hey, my dream was this, interpret it. He said, guess my dream and also tell me what it meant, which is just crazy, right? And so Daniel, the main character here, comes to him and says, hey, you had this dream about this statue. It had a head of gold and uh, like a chest and arms of silver and a brass, uh, brass like 
chest, belt area, legs of iron, and then feet and toes that are made of iron and clay. Um, and that right there, um, Bible nerds have, you know, dug into it specifically. And that is just imagery to depict the next four or five major, um, you know, world powers of the time, right? And so to get into it, like the head of gold represented um, the city of Babylon, which was where Daniel was that time in history. Um, and uh, he uses gold there because Babylon was like the, the, the New York of that time. Like they were the, the, the brightest, the shiniest, like they were, they were them in their time. Right. But then after them, history tells us that then it was like the Persians that came next. Um, and they are, they represent like the chest and the arms because when the Persians did their whole thing, uh, Sorry, my brain just farted for a second. Uh, th they were the arms because they were just like one of the biggest uh, like fighting forces of those times. And like they're used silver. They're depicted in silver in this like dream because back then like Persian soldiers um, used like they got silver medals and stuff as like a sense of adornment. Uh, and then also like silver, that's when they started using silver as like a money, as a monetary kind of system then you look at history again after the persians um then it's the greeks turn um and they're represented by a kingdom of brass uh and they're kind of the belt area of this statue and uh back then like bronze is just so important and a and an essential thing about the greeks because they were uh, using brass, they're starting to use brass, uh, and brass is like a combination of metals. I'm no metal nerd, but um, they started using that, and it was stronger than all the other metals at the time. And they were using it for armor and battle axes and uh, spear tips and swords and all that kind of stuff. And that was really the game changer in just their weaponry, and that's what marked the Greek Empire was just this bronze. And in this in this story that of Daniel that happened years and years and years before the Greeks who ever thought of, like Daniel tells them, hey, you guys are going to be marked by bronze. You know? Yeah. Then you go to the iron legs. It says that the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth on all things. Uh, and right there, he's talking about Rome. Um, and in Rome, in Rome, uh, you know, it didn't last for very long. Um, like it talks about iron rust, or no. Is it iron that rusts? Yeah. Yeah. Iron rust. And the Roman Empire didn't actually last for very long relative to everyone else. Um, which is why it kind of talks about how it, iron breaketh in pieces and subdues all things. Um, and so there's not too much about that. And then you get to the feet where it says that the feet and the toes are of iron and clay. And so after the Romans, what happened is that, uh, I'm trying to think. Basically, after the defeat of Rome, the empire starts getting divided into all these different divisions, right? That's where you get, like, the Franks and the Anglo-Saxons and all that kind of stuff, which is where you get, like, modern-day, think, like, 
France, Germany, Switzerland, Italy, Spain, like Europe is so broken up in such a small area because of kind of that history of when the Roman Empire fell. Um, and that's why I think here in this in this dream that Daniel's depicting, does it say that it's it's this mixture of iron and clay? Um, because and and as it says that as the toes of the feet were part iron and part clay, so that the kingdom shall be partially strong but partially broken. Um, in a sense of yes, they're all European nations, but yet they're so divided. They're kind of strong but kind of not. Uh, just speaking into the fact that they're just so divided. And I just think that's all that to be said. Daniel depicted this dream hundreds of years before they ever happened. Um, and history lines up with exactly what this kind of prophesied and was alluding to. Uh, and so how can I take that and deny the fact that history does line up with the Bible? You know? Right. And like we were talking earlier, like it is the most cross-referenced uh, piece of literature ever um, and it is not it has not been proven wrong in fact uh, there's even you know the museum of the bible up in dc you can go and uh, just kind of read all the history about it I, I would love to go it's on my bucket list um yeah bible history is wild bro dude it's so good uh, another thing is like well doesn't science and like modern technology does that not uh, disprove the bible either well, I, I think the more and more we look into science, um, especially like the beginning of the education system as a whole, um, I think science proves more and more that the Bible is true. Um, getting into like, you know, more more so history side of things, uh, the history of the school and education system. You think about the Renaissance, right? The Renaissance was marked by um, people starting to wonder like, man, like religion and art and science, like we want to know, th we, we want to know things, you know, we're not cave dwellers anymore who are uh, hunting and gathering. Like we want to know the deeper things. We want to know like who, where do we come from? That's when we first started uh, kind of thinking about those deeper level two thoughts. Um, and so you look at institutions like Harvard, right? That was originally actually a Christian school because they wanted to know, like, hey, where do we come from? Uh, and that's where, like, science comes into play and math. Um, and I can't think of any, I personally can't think of any um, specific science thing that proves the Bible um, to be correct, because it's kind of late. My brain's all over the <laughs> place. Um, but yeah, that's my thoughts. I think you look at just the reason for science as a whole, and especially the education system, like, we just want to know stuff, you know? Yeah. I think uh, there are, oh, man. And it's it's like we're recording this a bit no, uh, later than normal. But uh, there is a, a famous astrophysicist, and he said the first sip of the glass of astrophysics will make you an atheist, but the bottom of the, the, bottom of the glass will make you a Christian. Um, and I think it, the problem that I believe that we have as a society um, especially like with atheism and things like that, is that we are we're not digging deep enough like to these questions. Like uh, they're like, oh well, you know, how do you explain this, this, and this? And then especially morals. Uh, morals is one of the big things. Um, you know, you're talking like if I told you um, 
if I told you a lie, and you came back to me later and like, hey, like, why did you lie to me? And I just said, well, I didn't care. But if you lie to me, then I'm, I'm probably going to be upset. I'm probably going to say, hey, like, why did you do that? Right? But yeah. so instinctively, I know it's wrong. Um, and then you get into the argument of, well, you know, my parents, uh, they instilled this into me. But then you have to go back and like, well, who taught them? Who taught your, who taught your, the very beginning of people, who taught them what was right and wrong? Um, and I've had people say, well, you know, there's a group of people that sat down and they decided on these morals, but they had to have agreed on them. And what basis for agreement do they have? Um, and you get into that. Uh, but you also get into uh, just the, the balance of the earth. Like we are in the Goldilocks zone. We have liquid water. Um, like It is insane. Our atmosphere has just enough oxygen not to kill us. Um, right. I mean, it is astounding. Like, if I, I, let me just say, like, if I was God, I would mess it up so fast. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'd be like, uh, you know what? Oxygen's good for him, right? A little bit of dash here, a little bit of dash there. We're good. And then you ended up uh, not having enough nitrogen. And so you just die. So, like, man. Speaking of death, um, nice. <laughs> Good transition. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but if God is so good, then why is there so much suffering in the world? Like, why why do we have to die? Right. Now, this is a hard one that I think a lot of people uh, kind of get their heads stuck on. And I just want to come out here and say that, that I think that suffering in the world was goes against God's plan, right? Uh, you go to Genesis 1, and three times does it say that when God made everything, it it, it was good. And it ends with, and it was very good. Um, but then we I think most of us have heard the Adam and Eve story of, you know, Adam and Eve ate the apple and then sin entered the world. Um, and then you fast forward to New Testament and, you know, Lazarus dies and it says that Jesus wept, you know. And I think that Jesus wept because the world was never meant, death was never part of the plan, you know. And the Christian view on suffering is actually, has always been really interesting to me. Um, cause I, I mean, a, a few verses come to mind, um, about just rejoicing in our sufferings and as Christians, like we're not promised this, like cupcakes and rainbows, everything's going to be all right. Cause now you're a Christian Bible promises us trials and tribulation. Right. Um, and I think again, bringing it back to kind of what my thoughts were coming from a Buddhist background, Buddhism teaches this idea of karma, you know, you're suffering now because you were a bad person in your past life because they believe in reincarnation as well. Or, you know, this bad thing is happening to you because you did this, you know, their version of sin, right? This is all this bad stuff is happening because you're a bad person. Um, but Jesus tells us like, hey, take heart. You know, I think about John 16, 33, that says, I said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And I think a lot of times people can get stuck on the, the trials and tribulation and the sorrows that come with it. But then, but then God tells us to take heart because he came and like rewrote that story. Uh, the, but take heart thing takes me from like a victim of just, man, there's this all the suffering in my life and I just, I, I can't handle it. And the truth is because you're right. You can't, you know, Jesus teaches that, you know, I am the vine, you're the branches. You can't do anything without me. 
And I think that's so true in my own life, uh, just looking at how God has moved and brought me out of the things I used to be in. Um, but he brings me from like a vic- victim to a victor uh, because I saw that it wasn't really up to me to overcome my circumstances, you know? Yeah. Uh, God tells us that he's overcome the world. And the thing that once held, held me down is now like the greatest force behind my purpose. And God takes those kind of pains and those sorrows and that, all that stuff and he, and he takes them, and I just feel like the biggest thing the enemy does is tells us that, like, hey, all the suffering that you've gone through, that's what defines you. Like, that's the enemy at work right there. But Jesus tells us that they're meant to describe us, not define us, you know? Um, and I think to speak into, like, how God's transformative it is. Like, the world is broken, yes. But there's a verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that says that God has made everything beautiful in its time. And I may not need, and I may not see it now. I fully trust that everything we made beautiful in its time, you know, whether it be, you know, I, I didn't have the best relationship with my stepdad growing up, but now I find myself in a spot where God has redeemed that suffering and that sorrow and that, that trial tribulation, whatever you want to call it, and has now redeemed it to where now I find myself as a man who, who I may not be the most empathetic. When people cry, I'm not an empath. Uh, I can't find myself crying, but but I just feel this sense of like, man, I can I need to help that person because I know growing up, I didn't have that that support. I just want to be that for someone else. Um, and then to bring it back, I think I kind of strayed from the question a little bit. But um, I think you're, I think you're right on. <clears throat> to pull to pull from Romans eight, um, Romans eight verse eighteen, it says, "For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing." with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Uh, Jesus referencing heaven in that, right? And again, I just feel like a lot of times that people look at the suffering around us, because it is there, but, you know, we're, we're to take heart because, you know, the good news in it is that this, this life is only momentary, um, but we still have eternity ahead of us with God. And it's going to be, so, it's going to be a, a freaking party up there. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be lit. Dude, exactly. Um, but that's my thoughts on suffering in this world. Yeah, no, man. Oh. Cole and I were in a community group we met yesterday. Um, and like something that I've, I've really just been kind of dwelling on, it's like I have, man, when I was first saved, like I was so on fire and I was seeing God move in my life in insane ways. Like, and now like it's i have to i'm not spending enough time in the word to where that i i know that the lord is moving a hundred percent he moves every day Uh, now the only difference is like can we see it Uh, are we walking with christ uh, in such a way that we are able to see what he's doing um and it's like i think about my testimony like man what God brought me out of, it felt like something that I would, that I would be better off if I was dead. Uh, and I had that thought just about every day for uh, over a year, and I I acted on it a couple times, and it is by the grace of God that I'm still here. Um, but I I think man, you know, God brought me out of that, but then I you know I'm when I'm in this stage of suffering. Oh, where is he? Where is he? 
but I, I, I forget, man, like Israel, Israel is like the biggest example of this. They were God's chosen people. Um, and they had seen him move a uh, cloud of pillar or the uh, pillar of cloud. There you go. Pillar of fire. Uh, they saw the plagues happen and they were like, ah, you know what? I'm going to go over here and do my own thing because they became blind. They became callous. Um, and all this to say, like, we cannot justify um, obedience by the outcome. Like, there are evil people in the world who seem to have a great life. Like, they are, they are really just doing well for themselves. Um, and then you have uh, Christians who, uh, man, like, I see the light of Christ in them every day, and they are going through some of the worst stuff that I have ever seen in my life. But yet their yeah. faith is not wavering. They are still just abiding in God. And it's crazy. Um, but, you know, all this abiding in God, like, I, that's what he wants for us. Uh, right. we, we were made to worship. But if we were made to worship God, like, wouldn't that make him egotistical? Yeah, I think um, kind of on that on that note, um, I think that God made everything to worship, right? And I, I don't feel like that's an egotistical thing because keeping it real, we can sit here and judge the rules all we want, but God made the rules. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and there's a, there's a verse in Luke that talks about how when Jesus is riding into town uh, on his donkey, the Pharisees are trying to get his disciples to shut up. And Jesus is like, yo, hold up. You know, even if they weren't there, the rocks would still cry out, right, in worship. Um, and so I don't, I don't think that God made us to worship him because he needed us to. I think it's because he wanted us to. I think it's such a beautiful picture because, like, us as humans on this earth, what separates us from, you know, a monkey or a cat or a dog is that we are we are made in the image of God. Um, and I just feel like we have such such a gift that we have like we're we're set apart in that sense. Um, so why would I not worship him if he set me apart and made me in his own image, right? Um, not to say not to say that he not to say that he needs us to. Um, but again, because he wants us to, and I, and I think it breaks God's heart to bring it back to the garden, right? Um, he get, he loved us so much that he gave us the free will to choose him or to not choose him. And I truly believe that it broke God's heart, the fact that we choose to not follow God on a daily basis, you know? Right. Um, like we talk, we sit here and read the, we reread the, the gospels, right? We, we see the story of Judas, you know, Easter was a, last weekend. We see Judas and we're like, man, how could anyone betray Jesus, the son of God, you know? But I think about it, and on the, the note of how all sin in God's eyes are weighed the same, um, at least Judas got paid, honestly, right? Judas got paid, you know, 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. But I, I think about my own life, and I just think, man, how many times do I sell out Jesus for free? Mm. Um, with the way that I act, you know, in my thoughts, in my words, in my actions. Um, like I go to the gym a lot and, you know, I think taking care of your body cause it's a, you know, temple of the Holy spirit is like a very biblical idea that I like to practice. And so, you know, I'm at the gym six days a week doing my thing, but Bible also talks about, Hey, 
if he looks at a woman lustfully, you commit adultery in your heart. Um, and I'll be honest with me, like every single time I go to the gym, which is six days a week, do I struggle to like look at that girl in the mirror a certain way, you know? Um, and it's because like, like just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I'm perfect. I think it's a really toxic idea that's that stems from a lot of different th things that's culture-based. But, um, man, I just feel like in terms of worship, I just wish people would worship God with their actions, not just with their their attendance at a church or with their, like, corny Christians. I, I, I refer to them a lot as corny Christians, but people who, to call some of y'all out listening, I guess, people who, who go to that coffee shop, you know, sit next to the window, take out their Bible, underline a few verses, and take that cutesy picture so that all their friends can see, hey, I'm reading my Bible today, guys. Ooh, like, yeah. like yeah. what is that, bro? What is that? You know, I think about when Jesus tells us to give, he tells us to give in silence so that no one can hear us and no one can see us. Let your devotion, like, be in private so that no one can see you so you're not seeking the approval of man, right? Um, I think that applies to worship as well. There are so many different ways to worship God than just, you know, doing a hallelujah, praise the Lord kind of thing. But it's like, man, we can worship, we worship God through everything. Like I kind of said earlier, I think we worship God with our words, especially with our actions and just with our thoughts. Um, and I just wish I worshiped better with my thoughts. I'll be honest. Woman of vulnerability here, guys. <clears throat> Absolutely. I think, um, man, Paul, uh, <laughs> man, Paul was like, I, I like to say Jesus is my savior and Paul's my guy, right? Like, right. Uh, he writes, uh, I can't remember exactly what verse it is, but he says, uh, and I discipline my body lest after teaching to you that I myself should not be disqualified. He also uh, calls us to take captive our thoughts. Um, man, I'll be honest. I was watching some videos earlier um, just about this one pastor and he said something that like it really it upset me he said like hey you can think whatever like just don't act on it and i feel like that's how we as christians have a lot of our um that's how we have our mindset it's like oh if i don't act on it like it's okay but no paul is very specific he says take captive our thoughts um take captive what you're feeding yourself um also kind of getting back to the question um the thing is like yeah you're absolutely right god made the rules and he is just in everything um and it's something to wrestle with absolutely like you're not just going to be like oh yeah like god is just like oh i should just kind of go through whatever i'm going through like i shouldn't complain like at all like no like the lord wants us to communicate with him you know he wants us to talk to him wants to have that relationship uh, not because he needs it but because he wants us to be with him uh, so much so that he sent his uh, only begotten son you know i don't i honestly didn't know what begot mean meant until a couple of weeks ago but it means like of himself uh, and that's how you know son of god and god are the same that's why we have the trinity but he sent his son to die for us on a cross uh, in the most excruciating way uh, that I have ever even heard of. But then he didn't stay dead. He rose again. So if it was egotistical 
then why would God go through all that trouble for us? Um, yeah. And yeah. <clears throat> so the question that I also get a lot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> a little bit over here. Well, don't. That's a lot of paperwork for me to fill out. Okay, bet. Um, I have a lot of family that is Catholic, and uh, I know sometimes uh, people ask, like, oh, uh, are you Christian or are you Catholic? Um, and I think it's bad that we ha uh, differentiate them. Um, but, like, what is different about Catholicism? Yeah. Um, so my experience with the Catholic Church, um, and from my understanding, uh, uh, what separates, like, Catholic from the other denominations of Christianity is that you, know, you look at church history and Catholics really value, in my experience, Catholics value, um, they say that the word of God has equal authority to the tradition of the church as where most other de denominations think that, hey, Bible and God's word, God's teaching has ultimate authority of my life. You know, church tradition holds no, no, no bearing over that. Um, and I think that's where you get into like kind of more church history side of things and Martin Luther and the Reformation, you know, Martin Luther got so fed up with the Catholic Church that he stapled a list of a bunch of different things that the Catholic Church had wrong. Uh, some of those things were like they were they were praying for the dead, praying to the saints, worshiping angels. And like they were people were the Catholic Church would convince people uh to do this thing called almsgiving where basically they give this Catholic church a bunch of money to atone for their sins, you know, um, all this crazy stuff. Oh, and, yeah. you know, just cause the church said so. Um, and so the biggest thing that separates like, like again, the like big picture answer here, like in my experience, the Catholic church's values, this idea of church tradition over kind of what, the Bible actually just teaches plain, plain out. Um, you know, I think a lot of people hear about purgatory. Um, and in my experience, like on Texas Tech's campus, there's this table called ask a Catholic a question. And so one day, you know, when I was a little baby Christian, about a year, year, year and a half ago, I kind of read through the gospels over the summer and a few of Paul's letters. And then I just, you know, heard this word like purgatory, uh, from here and there. And I, you know, so I've I asked around and all my Christian friends were like, yeah, that's a very that's a Catholic thing, and I just wanted to. I so I went up to the table, asked Catholic a question. And I asked him. I said, hey, just real quick, where in the Bible does it talk about purgatory? Like I'm I'm ignorant. Like where does that idea come from? And all the people kind of looking sitting at that table looked at each other, uh, and kind of and they and they scratched their head a little bit, and they were like, oh, it comes from this this parable about you know there's this. There's this master, and he gives three of his servants money. One of them buries it uh, and gets mad at the one who just buries it. And and he, I forget where exactly that, that is. It's in one of the Gospels. I don't remember the reference, but but I, I looked at them, and I was like, okay. Like, again, maybe I'm ignorant, but can you maybe elaborate on how a story about getting mad at his servant who's being lazy equates to this middle ground between earth and heaven where i'm supposed to pray for you when you die so you can get into heaven like maybe i again like maybe i'm just stupid and slow or something like that but i just don't see 
where that is coming from out of this parable. And again, they just kind of looked at me and dead in the eyes and were like, well, let's take a step back. Straight up, we don't believe everything that's in the Bible. You know, our our, our priests and our leadership tell us that. Whoa. And I and I kind of looked at him really confused and I was like, well, okay, like, thanks for your time. Have a good day. And kind of walked off with like this really sour taste in my mouth, right? Um, and again, maybe that's just one guy like Bible also teaches not to, you know, um, we are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. Like that guy in that, I think if I were in his shoes, um, I might say something maybe false or whatever to give him the benefit of the doubt. Right. Um, but in my experience and in my like kind of digging into the Catholic church as a whole, like that sediment of just, Hey, not everything that we believe and not everything that we practice is necessarily in the Bible. Which I think is absolutely wild. Yeah. Uh, man, I I don't think I've ever had an interaction with uh, Catholics like that. Uh, but yeah, Martin Luther's thesis, like that is that spawns a Lutheran church and all this uh, other things. Um, and just kind of on the purgatory, like, oh man, was it last semester? We had... Uh, Travis, our college uh, pastor, preached on, uh, no, no, this was actually a Sunday uh, morning service. Our, our pastor, Pastor Steve, talked about, uh, you know, the parable of the rich man and uh, the poor man, Lazarus. And he says, hey, uh, you know, Lazarus is poor and he has dogs licking his wounds. And the rich man is not even willing to give the crumbs off of his table. But they both die, uh, and Lazarus goes into heaven and is near Abraham. Um, and then the rich man goes to hell. Now, the rich man uh, is looking up and sees Lazarus at Abraham's side, and he says, uh, says, can I go up there to you? And Abraham says, no. For there is a great chasm between us. And Richmond then says, well, can Lazarus dip his finger in water and uh, bring it that I may uh, quench my tongue? And Abraham sa again says, no, there is a great chasm between us. Uh, we cannot go there and you cannot come here. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, that's a pretty good example of like, hey, there are really only two places you when you die, you either go to heaven or to hell, and it's it's a harsh reality. But <laughs> once you're dead, it's too late. Uh, you don't get to make that choice anymore. Uh, I mean, man, I had a discussion on about this uh, a while back. Um, it is there's a reason why we are here on this planet. Uh, you know, we try and talk to people about. Um, we try not to, at least uh, our church does not uh, preach the uh, hellfire and brimstone like all the time. Like it is important to talk about, and I believe that. Uh, but we're not all about that. Uh, I know that a lot of people, that's all they've heard. And so they're thinking to themselves, like, if God is so good, then why would he send people to hell? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, to tech, and to kind of back it up a little for a second on like church denominations, um, I've been seeing a lot of stuff and, and I think that, 
you know, there's a lot of stuff, especially in the Catholic Church, that preaches the Old Testament version of just like condemnation. You know, the wages of sin is death, so we need to repent. Um, but they skip the part about the grace of God and how uh, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God um, as our uh, what's the word transgressor. Um, and it's like, yeah. Um, or you go on the other side of the scale where people just preach about the grace, but forget about the, hey, we are sinners, like we need to repent. Uh, and that's where you get into these denominations that are very uh, pro um, things that contradict scripture. Um, not going to get too much into the weeds on that, but, um, and you know, they, they just get that step of like, hey, from a holistic view, I think you know, we can get stuck in the, hey, like we need to repent right now, but we skip the grace and like vice versa. And I think that as a church, we should be preaching like, hey, there's a healthy amount of like, hey, yes, we are all sinners, but the good news is Jesus, right? Yeah. Um, and then to get on the note of like, hey, you know, if God is good, then why does, why does God send people to hell? Um, I, I think this question is actually worded in, like falsely. Um, I don't think that God sends us to hell. I think that we choose it actively. Um, and and I'll note kind of till we talked about it a second ago of how when, when God made us, he loved us so much that he didn't make us robots that were just, you know, loving him from day one. He gave us the option to love, choose him and to not, and we chose to not. And so um, to kind of pull out of Romans <clears throat> chapter one for a second, um, Starting in verse 23, I'll just read off for y'all. Um, and it says that, And they exchanged the glory of an immortal God for the images resembling the mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And so basically, in the church in Rome, they were, they had the, they had the, they, they traded out the gospel for this thing that had like idols, right? And in verse 24, it says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts and impurity to the dishonoring things of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the create the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And I think that a lot of times, time and time again, um, do I feel like some of the times people talk about God's wrath. I think a lot of the times God's wrath is just giving us what we want, you know, Interesting. like, uh, and, and I think right there, Paul is telling the church in Rome, like, hey, you know, God didn't send them <clears throat> uh, this way. God isn't sending anyone to hell. He's just giving them what they want. And to define heaven and hell, heaven is just a place in eternity with God. Hell is an eternity without God. Um, and I think that in this life, we get the 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 option to choose hey, man, do I want to live my life for God or against God? Um, and I think oftentimes people just choose not to, and they, they and they almost pity themselves too. You go to Psalms, and time and time again, does David go, oh, oh, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God is like, whoa, 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 hold up there, bud. I never left you. I've been there since day one. You know, I, I was talking to a guy who got a speeding ticket one time, and he was like, man, I got in a lot of trouble. Like, I couldn't. I can't financially like handle this speeding ticket right now, and I'm just thinking like, God, where where were you at? Like, how come you had that cop pull me over? And I'm just like, dude, well, you you were speeding, you know what I'm saying? God didn't do that. You did that. 
Um, I think there's a pers- like a sense of personal accountability that we naturally just want to dodge um, uh, that comes with this kind of question. Uh, but do I think God sends people to hell? Absolutely not. I think we send ourselves to uh, with the way that we live our, live our lives because we know that the wages of sin is death. Um, pulling again out of Romans for a second, but um, that's kind of my 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 answer to the question. I think, uh, yeah, a simple add-on to that is like, hell was not made for us. Uh, hell was made for Satan. He was cast out of heaven. It was not made for us to join him. But hey, Satan gets lonely, and he he's he's looking for some roommates. So um, he wants us there. But God is like, hey, no, don't don't give into that. Like he, not only are you uh, going to uh, hate it there, but like sin itself, it, it costs more than you're willing to pay. It takes you uh, where you don't want to go, and for longer than you want to stay there. Um, and all of that, that that leads to hell. Um, you had an interesting point uh, a second ago, uh, a free will. And, you know, if we believe that God is uh, omniscient or all-knowing, then do we actually have free will? Yeah, well, and, and my answer is, is less so of a Bible reference and more so of a logic puzzle. Um, but I think that, you know, <clears throat> when I look outside, right, and I see storm clouds in the distance, I know it's going to rain. But did I cause it to rain because I knew? Absolutely not. And I think that just because I feel like the same is true with our lives. I think that God ultimately, like you kind of said earlier, God is outside the the dimension of time. Like God was there before, is the alpha and the omega, right? Um, and God knows everything, right? But that's not to say that, you know, just because he knows doesn't mean he forced our hand. Um, and that's kind of where, where, where my where where my brain gets peace and finds an answer to that point. Uh, just that difference between knowing something does not, you know, there's that logical fallacy of, you know, uh, what is it? Some causation. Oh, shoot, I might Google it. Causation and correlation. Yeah, causation and correlation. Just because God knew that I was going to look at that girl at the gym a certain way does not mean God caused it. Um, that's just kind of where my brain goes to answer this question. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest, I, I put this intentionally in here because it's it's a question that, um, man, Christians are divided up and like different denominations, different churches within the same denomination. Um, you've got the two main camps. You've got Armenianism and you've got Calvinism. Um, I actually live across the street from a Calvinistic church. Uh, Calvinism is, they, in my personal opinion, this is not a is not biblical because Calvinism is not in the Bible. Um, neither is Armenianism. Um, but you know, my personal opinion, I think Calvinism is is a bit of that dodging kind of personal responsibility. It's like um, Calvinism; they believe that God has set apart a few people to get into heaven. So if you're in the elect, then you'll get in. But if not, then, well, sorry about you. Um, and, you know, they have verses for that. Um, I don't believe that 
overall scripture does not subscribe to that at all. Um, I believe that God knows everything. And like you said, like causation and correlation are two different things. Um, it's like, that'd be like saying God caused sin. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If we believe God is all good, then he is not capable of sin. Um, and you've got Armenianism, which is all about free will. Like, uh, God basically is, is sitting back and waiting for us to do something. Like, he's not, like, he doesn't move on his own. And I think that's just plain wrong. God sent Moses uh, to free his people from Egypt. God sent the prophets, Ezekiel, Elijah, Jeremiah, to tell his people, like, hey, like, chill out, bro. Like, you got to repent. He sent Jesus. Like, if God was sitting back, then uh, we wouldn't have all these things. Um, So I I think... uh, I think predestination and free will are two sides of the same coin, and I could do an entire podcast episode on this, but I'm not going to because I don't feel yeah. like it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, to kind of close off your thought, um, I've done my fair share of homework on the, the do we have free will or are we predestined? Because the Bible uses the word predestined a few different times. Uh, in Ephesians 2, you Calvinists will camp out there for a little bit, and they also camp out kind of in Romans 8 and Romans 9. Uh, we're talked about like we are predestined um, before God and those kind of things. And then, you know, you also go to the free will side of the coin and it's like, man, well, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden or people, you know, some Arminius will also camp out in Romans eight and all those other places where people clearly get to choose or get this option to be saved, to be not saved. And so that, that question is just like, those, those contradict each other. And to the point of like, you know, causation is not correlation. My answer to it, you know, why can't it be both? Yes. Um, my my answer goes like, if we believe that scripture can't contradict scripture, I'm very analog. Like I think in analogies, it, it, kind of in a similar way to how Jesus talked in parables. And I've thought about it like this before. You know, when I have a kid, you know, me and my wife settle down, decide to have a kid, and all of that. Before the kid is ever born, I'm gonna set it apart from everyone else. I'm going to go to my house, you know, paint the room, whatever color, build the crib, um, set this kid up for success. You know, I want this kid before it's ever born to want to have a relationship with me because I want to be a good father, right? That's a deep desire in my heart. But at the end of the day, truly, when the kid is born, um, you know, and it grows up, it eventually is going to, you know, decide whether or not, hey, I want a relationship with my father or not, you know, it's not my decision at the end of the day to force my child to have that relationship with me. Um, Cause at the end of the day, like my own kid has its free will. Um, and I think in a similar way, that's how God sees us, you know, before we were ever you know, knit in our mother's womb, God set, set us apart. And I don't think that's to save people, you know, people weren't, or that I'm the elected people are not like a prideful sense to that. Like, no, I think with everyone, whether you're a Christian or not, God loves you. You know, God knew you before you ever made. Um, but at the end of the day, kind of to my point a second ago, like we have the free will to choose God and to not. And that's such a beautiful picture of love. You know, I think about the prodigal son, right? When the son runs off with his dad's money, never he's like, 
well, sun come back. You know, he lets the sun run. Um, and to choose to do that kind of lifestyle, but yet the kid comes back. And it's, and you know, it says that while the son was still far off, the father saw him. And so that, mean, that, that would mean that the father never stopped looking for him, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's just such a beautiful picture and where I've kind of found peace in this whole, you know, pre, are we predestined or do we have free will kind of conversation? Um, maybe that will change here as I uh, grow in my faith, but as far as my, as of now, with everything that I know to be true, with what the Bible says, I truly think that it's a not a this or that kind of question. You know, I think it's this and that. Um, just put my opinions out out there. I agree. Um, again, that's that's a point that Christians we debate all the time, and people start fighting each other over it, and it's kind of stupid um, because it honestly doesn't matter. But yeah. Um, our next question is uh, some that I have had uh, an atheistic friend ask me, um, and to be honest, I, I didn't know until I started looking into it, but it's, uh, wasn't there mistranslation when the Bible was being translated into the KJV? Um, yeah. Um, well, to get into the, 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 the nitty-gritty here, you look at the canon of the Bible and its translations. The Bible, like... People talk about how the KJV was the first translation of the Bible. That's just false. Uh, KJV was based, like, the Bible was originally written in Greek and Hebrew. And so to answer the question, wasn't there a mistranslation when it was in the King James Version? Well, yeah, because there are some words that are in Greek and Hebrew that literally there's just not a word in English that means the same thing. That's why you get into different translations of the Bible that are more word for word, and then you have idea for idea. And there's kind of a spectrum, two different translations and where they land on that. But I think there's mistranslations with every version of the Bible that's not just directly Greek and Hebrew. And I think that that's exactly why when you look into people who want to go into seminary school, they make you learn Greek. So you can actually learn the Bible in the original language that it was made in. Um, that's kind of my answer to the question. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I found out soon after I was asked this question that there's actually some people I know that have this, uh, this Bible that is the Greek and Hebrew uh, directly translated into the English below. So you see the ancient Hebrew, you see the Greek, and then you see the English, and like it is word for word. Um, I mean, it is, in, it's incredible. I mean, and if we really wanted to, like, Cole and I, we could go and learn Greek and Hebrew. Um, like, I will uh, be attending LCU next semester um, for biblical studies, and so I'll, I'll be learning Greek. Um, but it's like, whoa. Like, we have things that are set in place to where we can, we can make sure that we're not uh, being heretical, um, make sure we're not blaspheming God. And another thing that's like, it's been interesting uh, that I honestly, before I was a believer, I didn't know anything about, um, is the Apocrypha. Like, what, like, what is that? Yeah. Um, so Apocrypha, as a word, uh, from my understanding, just means like hidden. And another word for these kind of books are, they, they call them 
De- it's like deuterocanonical books, which basically means second canon. And so actually, so we know that there's the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, and there's this like large gap in time between the last book of the Old Testament and John. Or Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So Matthew. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, and uh, so there are these nine or ten books that, that the specifically the Catholic Church holds on to. Um, and these books um, are were in the Reformation. They were taken out of the biblical canon. Uh, so so our Bibles, if you go to the, you know, Mardell's or Barnes & Noble, you buy a Bible, there's going to be 66 books in it. But the Apocrypha are the, quote, hidden books. And the reason that they were taken out of the Catholic Bible when we were reformed from the Catholic Church is that they just taught things that were uh, simply historically inaccurate or things that contradicted itself, like proven to not be true. Um, and a lot of those examples of like, hey, the traditions of the Catholic Church stem from these books about you know praying to the saints and giving those atoning for our sins payments to the Catholic Church. A lot of those ideas, from my understanding, comes from these books that were taken that were purposefully taken out of the quote Bible canon. Um, I personally never read any of them. Uh, I just know that they exist and kind of the high level ideas on why they were taken out and generally what they say. But I've never actually dug deep into these, you know, extra books, if you will. Yeah, I think uh, I I agree. Like they are most of them are proven to be not true. Like the uh, Gospel of Judas was proven to be written after he uh, hung himself. Um, the second Gospel of Peter was proven uh, to not be to not actually have been in the time period of Peter. Um, I mean, you like these are things that have been proven to be inaccurate. And people are like, oh, well, wasn't some of them taken out at the Council of Nicaea? Well, Council of Nicaea, uh, just for a little bit of background, was about 300 years after Christ. Um, and then you get, like, Constantine and things like that. However, the Council of Nicaea, common misconception is that they dealt with the canon of the Bible. Um, they did not. They had nothing to do with that. That had already been settled. Um, like, the, they were talking more about uh, the relationship of Christ and uh, the Lord, uh, as in the Father of the Trinity. They, like, they were getting down to the real nitty gritty. There, uh, they didn't have to worry about the canon of the Bible, because I believe that the uh, Bible is put together divinely. I think, uh, sure, human hands bound it together, whatever. I believe that it was divinely inspired uh, and that the scripture is the word of God. So he has absolute influence over it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know just like how, how I kind of said in the beginning of the podcast and how just, you know, the, the Bible is the most cross referenced book ever. And, you know, it does not contradict itself. You know, Bible nerds have, have nerded out their whole lives trying to figure out, you know, just to disprove the Bible. I think about people who are like C.S. Lewis, right? He became a Christian because he tried to disprove it, disprove Christianity. And he found himself in trying to disprove it like, man, maybe this is true. Because I can't figure out how to make it not true. And, you know, he's 
regarded as one of the greatest theologians of recent times. Um, and to just speak into the Apocrypha note, you know, and just how the Bible does not contradict itself ever. Um, you know, these Apocrypha books do like contradict scripture and they don't agree with the history part of kind of our, you know, one of the questions from earlier. And that just speaks to like, if it's really true, like if the word, if the 60, if the words that are in the 66 books of the Bible are true, then they would be true in every asset, historically, uh, canonically, idea for idea. Um, but the, you know, according to the things that I've read about it, um, you know, these books just simply don't line up with what the rest of God's word says. Plain and simple. Yeah. And that kind of moves us on to our last question, um, which isn't even about the Bible, really. It's about the people. Um, and like, man, so many people have uh, what we call church hurt um, because uh, people are hypocrites. And so I think a common um, view of the church is that it's just full of hypocrites. Yeah. Yeah. And so to, to kind of get into that tension, um, you know, people, you know, on the note of how I, you know, pulling from Romans 3, we are all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous, not one. Um, you know, part of that is people lie. Um, and, and this is kind of something that I found interesting in my walk as of recent. And just, I've gone back and kind of started reading all of the, the letters that Paul's written to all the different churches and to all the different people who are trying to get into ministry and lead a church body well. In almost every single letter, and even in First Timothy, he warns against this twice, actually. Um, but time and time again, does Paul warn about false teachers and false prophets? Uh, and some of my favorite things to kind of turn to, um, <clears throat> to pull out of like the last chapter of Romans, Romans 16, Paul writes in his final instructions to the church, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I may rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise uh, as to what is good and innocent and to what is evil. And I just think that so often, man, um, like the reason that it's so important to, um, you know, in pulling from Ephesians, we're called to grow into the fullness of Christ um, and be and be mature so that we're not tossed to and throw, you know, bad doctrine. It's because there are people out there who are hypocrites, you know, and they are false, false prophets. You know, um, Paul or in one of the gospels, I feel like, ah, shoot, I forget the, the reference, but it talks about how people, you know, you should wa remain watchful for people who are, who are wolves in sheep's clothing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, people just look, look appealing, you know, they're, they're the church Chad with the, with the John three sixteen tattoo, but yet they're out at the bars drinking, getting drunk, having sex, all that kind of stuff, you know, but yet they're coming to church hungover. Uh, and we're and, and Bible teaches time and time again, but we're we're to remain watchful of those. And then, and then to kind of switch to a to a different light in the topic of how, like, we're not. To, I don't think we're to shy away from these false prophets and teachers. We're just we're 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 to, we're to remain watchful 
of the fakes is as I feel like is what Paul tells time and time again to these churches and to these ministers. Um, but to pull from Second Corinthians, um, Paul writes in chapter eleven. <clears throat> uh, starting in verses, we'll start in 12. Um, it says, and what I've been doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim in that their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And this is my favorite part of this section where Paul again is just warning people about these false prophets. And he says, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness and their end will correspond to their deeds. Whoa. And I just think that like Paul's, Paul's spitting right here. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and I, I just think that, yes, we're going to come across people who, who may not represent Jesus to us. Um, and, and if that's your story and you're listening to this, I just want to say like, I am so sorry that someone gave you an inaccurate view of Jesus. Um, and, and I, I, and I just think that time and time again, like the church isn't just, uh, going to a church building and listening to some pastor talk about stuff that he wants to talk about from the Bible. No, going to church is actually the people that are there. Uh, churches can happen at a Chick-fil-A or in a house or, uh, literally anywhere like a church is not defined by the four walls of a building it's it's just the people um and if we're dealing with people all the time in the church because that's what it is people are sinful you know there are you know and time and time again does scripture warn against these people who are just false prophets false teachers um and that's damaging to the church body yes but but we're warned of them um and all that to be said again you know <clears throat> I'm, it, it sucks that that's the way that it is, but it's the world that we're in, you know? Yeah, I'd like to, man, I'd like to kind of be vulnerable for a second, but uh, I was looking at just really examining myself, um, making sure that uh, I am looking at myself before I, I need to go and have this conversation with someone. Um, and I found that uh, if I had gone to them, that I would have been a, an absolute hypocrite because I had not even noticed the log in my own eye uh, before I saw the speck in theirs. And so it's something that I have to uh, walk with Christ on and uh, ask him to help me uh, to get rid of this uh, before I can help my brother in Christ with his walk. But Paul... Uh, Paul takes a hard stance on uh, people who uh, talk the talk but don't walk the walk. First uh, Corinthians five verse eleven is one of my favorite things. Um, it says, "But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, or a viler, drunkard, or a swindler. Not to even eat with such a one." And he's not saying, "Oh man." These people outside, like, oh, they're sinners. Like, don't don't go uh, talk to them. No, no, no. He's saying if they are a brother or sister in Christ, if they claim to follow Christ but they're doing all these things without repentance, it's like, hey, stay away from them. It's like you said, like, they are a wolf in sheep's clothing. Um, 
Paul calls us to judge uh, within the church, to root out the weeds. Um, but he says to love those uh, outside the church. Like he says, uh, am I to judge such a one? Referring to the outside, I believe that's Romans 2. Um, but <clears throat> saying like, it is not our place to judge outside. But all, all too often, we in the church, we get so comfortable just saying, hey, I'm right, you're wrong, suck it up, I'm better than you, and that's just not how it is. That's not love. And the Bible shows us time and time again, without love, we are nothing. Without love, we wouldn't have Christ. Without love, we wouldn't be here. Because why would the Lord just wipe out, why wouldn't he just wipe us out with a flood? You know? But no, uh, Noah loved the Lord, and he was willing to do whatever the Lord asked. And so we still live, you know. But if God didn't love us, then why would he save Noah? And so I think the Bible is honestly the greatest love story that has ever been created. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. For sure. Um and something that just relating it to the gospel, um, I know a lot of people will present the gospel of like, you know, God created everything and it was good, but then sin entered the world. Um, and recently, I mean, you go, I, I've learned, or not learned, but someone, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and they, they talked about the, the, the gospel in a different kind of way. And they talked about how kind of what, exactly what you were saying and how, you know, scripture from cover to cover is just... God's redemption of his people. Um, you go to Genesis 1, the first book, first chapter of the Bible, and it starts in a garden, you know, with the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. Um, and it's just beautiful picture that was very good. And then, you know, to, to the point of every single page between the last chapter of the Bible is just like, man, sin. And Jesus came and redeemed us. And then you go to the end in Revelation, one of the last chapters, it talks about how, um, you know, in in the end, you know, earth is going to return to how, it, you know, new heaven, new earth. And it depicts yet another garden where there's where there's the tree and there there's a river. Um, and I just think and I just think about it. And what they said was uh, the gospel is is just us living today. And restoring earth back to Eden. You know, we are vessels for the Lord. Um, and praise God that we've been redeemed through it all. Um, and I think it's such a beautiful picture, like exactly what you were saying. It was just like, man, the gospel as a whole is just a redemption of his people. Um, yeah. That's wild, bro. If there's anything to take away from this podcast, if you weren't listening to anything we said, I, take this with you. The Bible is a. It's about how much God loves you, but a parent punishes those he loves. Like, spare the rod, spoil the child. Um, you know, like, if if we just got away with whatever we wanted uh, and without taking the punishment, like, we won't learn. Um, and that's shown time and time again in the Bible. But remember this, like, God loves you so much. He sent his son to die for you. Man. I, I love talking about Jesus. Come on. Yeah, I, I just love how, you know, 
kind of on that note too, just the redemption arc. People, people in church have John three sixteen memorized, which is you know, for God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son to blah 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 blah. You know, but I think the verse that goes after that goes harder. Uh, you know, John three six three seventeen is Ooh. wild. I, I, I'm flipping the pages. Hold up, hold up. Let me get there. Let me cook. But it says that you know, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish and have eternal life. And we're like, yes, that's the tattoo verse. And honestly, if I were to get a verse tattooed, 317 is probably one of the top five contenders. It says, For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Um, and I, bruh, come on, like, Jesus did not come to condemn us. Like, he came to save us. Like, that's just, that's that's crazy, bruh. Man. Uh, uh, just kind of as we're wrapping up here. Something that uh, Cole does as a leader of RCG, and it is amazing, is uh, at the start, do a 30-second kind of spark notes of the gospel, just to make sure that we never forget why we're meeting. Um, and I think it also keeps it in our hearts of, like, if we have a, you know, a touchy subject, that we're not up in arms at each other, that we're not uh, just yelling at each other over and over again, that we're right. It's like, hey. God died for all of us. Well, plain and simple. Let's go. Um, yeah, I think that's about going to wrap up this episode. Uh, Cole, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, is there anything you want to say? Um, you know, you know, it's a pleasure to be on this. Uh, I love talking about Jesus and just sharing kind of everywhere that everything that I've learned over the last two years of being a little little baby Christian. I just plan on you know, continuing to grow in that and sharing with people um, everything that I've been learning. And something that, you know, you've heard me say before, but I'll say it on here too. Um, just on the note of, man, like, I didn't, you know, you and I didn't get this knowledge over time or overnight, you know. Mm. I didn't just pray to God, God, give me the knowledge to to speak to your people. Like, no, there's there's a level of accountability that we have to it. And I think a lot of us can hear, like, on the note of the Great Commission, you know, we're called to go go out and make disciples, um, which is this is which is great, and everyone has that call. But I just feel like mentorship is so important, and we don't think enough times like, man, yes, we're called to go out and make disciples, but but who can disciple me? And so, kind of walking away from this, man, like if any of these questions are burning on your heart, or you feel like we didn't really satisfy your answer, go find someone with you who's in your in your walk. You know, there's always those bigger fish in the pond, people who have who are more, quote, mature in their faith than you might be, uh, and, and to not get let pride get in the way, uh, and to just seek out, like, hey, man, you're a really godly guy or really godly girl. Um, I want you to mentor me and teach me what you know. Uh, and I think oftentimes in Christian community, especially, people are down for that life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but just as, like, encouragement to the listener watching who might who may – not have the right, may not have the answers to some of these questions or even have questions that we didn't cover tonight uh, or anything like that. Go find someone in your local church body who, who is that quote, like bigger fish in the pond uh, and go, go find a, go find a mentor guys. Um, Cause again, I just think in my, in my walk, the biggest thing was, you know, getting a mentor, like my mentor, Christian, he's literally the goat. Uh, he's, he's, you know, has been wrestling with that call to ministry. He's a seminary student, grew up in church, knows all those kind of answers and he was for me we meet one one-on-one for the last year or so uh, and he gets to hear all my unfiltered 
you know, questions. One of my favorites I ever asked was like, hey, so if Adam and Eve were really, you know, made from dust, do they have belly buttons? And we walk through it, you know. <laughs> it, it, it's a stupid question, <laughs> but I mean, it's valid, no? Uh, and, and and I think mentorship is just such a biblical concept that I think not enough people uh, strive for. And just like as encouragement to you, like, be bold and go ask. Uh, again, don't let pride get in the way of that. I think spiritually, it's been in my my walk probably the the greatest thing ever. Absolutely, I think uh, something else that came to my mind, but I was thinking about it earlier, is like, uh, Cole, you're single, right? Okay, okay. Listen, yes, I'm single, bro. Hey, bro. Like, if anyone is looking for a good godly guy, like my man Cole, like, like hit me up. Like, I'll send you, uh, I'll send you what you want to know about him. Uh, I'll tell him about you, like, bro. Yeah, I'm like seven foot two, just an <laughs> absolute mountain of him. <laughs> sure, yeah. Hey, whatever you want, buddy. Right, right, right. All right, well, uh, this has been Untitled Jesus Talk. Uh, and please join us next time as we talk about testimonies.